The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Data, it's not too late. It is for the greater good. Good? Data isn't good and bad, right and wrong, a function of your ethical program. That is correct. What does that program tell you about what you're doing to Geordie? About what you and Law are doing to the Borg? It tells you that these things are wrong, doesn't it, Data? So how can actions that are wrong lead to a greater good? You were attempting to confuse me. No, you're not confused, Data. You're sensing the truth. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March the 14th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. This is war, declared Robert Vaughn and myself on last week's show. We were reacting to our own experiences on social media and to the growing consensus that what was once only a war of words is now approaching a point where that war can no longer be fought only with words. The war is now moving into the courtroom and a major case that was going forward that we looked at last week was Stephen Crowder's lawsuit against Facebook. There are other cases in progress against Facebook right now, as well as against Twitter, most from voices on the right whose opinions are constantly being labeled hate speech, harassment, racist, and a whole host of epitaphs, all designed to keep us from discovering and knowing the truth. And all this works for the greater bad, not for the greater good. Now, we fully support this action of resorting to the courts, as we find ourselves asking, Isn't it time that those on the right began treating their opponents on the left in the same warlike manner that the left has been exhibiting towards them? In fact, last week Robert Vaughn suggested that a free society should not censor, but ensure that there are consequences for openly advocating any violations of life, liberty, and property. It has regrettably become clear that social media platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and others known to be owned or operated by interests of the left have been found to be misrepresenting themselves and their services in a way that should concern everyone who can hear my voice right now online. After having actively pursued content providers on the right to set up shop on their platforms, They have now been found to be unethically restricting and banning those same voices from their promised free speech platforms for the most dubious of reasons. I mean, stupid reasons, fake reasons. Meanwhile, the voices on the left are given the complete freedom to spout hatred, spread fake news, hurl accusations of racism and sexism and all the rest of it, and promote any evil ideas and ideologies that they wish. This is unprecedented. I've never seen anything on this scale, but maybe it's because of social media that it has become so visible. This has always been going on. Which brings us back to the issue raised by Robert Vaughn last week. Should those who advocate tyranny, to whatever degree, be openly permitted to do so without consequences? Is this just a freedom of speech issue, or is it a lot more? Well, as we decided last week, this is war, no longer just an ideological debate that the left refuses to allow. And that's why it's become a war, 
because the needed discussion and debate is not allowed by those on the left. And worse, many of them are in denial about their leftist leanings. And I wonder how many people who are on the left do not realize that's where they are. Now our show begins right after we encourage you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media, our archive broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support, and in so doing, become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom, capitalism, and of course, left and right. And speaking of feedback, in reaction to last week's show, K.A. wrote, you are right that a war is coming. The silent majority is tired of the leftist BS and being put down. No one reads history anymore to recognize the signs of approaching war. And Paul B. wrote, those willing to still listen might want to reflect on this blogger's wrap-up of his review of the Mexican Revolution. And he sent us a link to that review. No doubt this is in reference to Robert's statement last week that revolution, not war, has been the greatest catalyst for changes within a given nation. And then David D. wrote, well, this page is still up, so that's good, (laughs) referring to our own Facebook page. Yes, that is good, David, but just the simple fact that our page is up does not mean that more than you, me, and a handful of very close friends are actually able to see it. We don't know. And this is not just a local phenomenon, but a worldwide one. If you ever needed any sort of hard evidence that the war about which we spoke last week is no longer just a war of words. What's happened in the past couple of weeks to Tommy Robinson will provide plenty. Shame on the BBC and all of the other so-called mainstream news outlets in Britain. Their actions today are no different than the actions of fascists and the Nazis leading up to World War II in Germany. And that is no idle use of those labels or comparisons. They're totally accurate. So, on the return side of our upcoming bumper from the March 5th Joe Rogan experience, which was over a three-hour-plus discussion with Tim Poole, an independent journalist, and two representatives from Twitter, none other than co-founder and CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, and Vijay Gadi, Twitter's global head of legal, policy, and trust and safety. Now, what's interesting about all of the participants that we're about to hear is that none would be considered to be strictly on the right. But not being familiar with any of them myself, Danielle has informed me that Tim Poole considers himself on the left, but she thinks he's a true journalist since he tries his best to keep his biases out of his reporting. And it sure sounded like that in this. But first, coming up next, on this side of the bumper, from his March 3rd heart-wrenching plea to his supporters, Tommy Circumstance speaks to two greater issues that concern our focus today. One, just how corrupt and evil the mainstream media and state officials can actually get. And two, the absolute necessity of having a news and discussion forum, what we currently call social media, as a people's alternative to propaganda and fake news. I actually have a video coming out which will include screenshots, photographs, and video footage. But I can't wait to get this rant off my chest. We have over a thousand people watching. If you're watching this anywhere, give it a share now. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. Do you know on Facebook currently, if someone puts a picture of me up, they get removed. 
They're going to make it so Tommy Robinson can't even be spoken about on Facebook. Tommy Robinson, who's committed no crime at all. And they further wanted to endanger my life by pumping lies, saying that I said to behead those who follow the Quran. A complete and utter lie, which just adds more danger to my life. On Christmas Eve, a group wearing masks took photographs outside the home, not where I live, because I don't live there. I haven't slept in the same building or property as my children for years. That's my business. That's how I live my life. To try and keep them safe. But because of that, certain far-left activists decided to find out where my children are. They then took pictures of themselves wearing masks and holding Antifa flags outside that property. Not outside my property. Outside that property. This campaign of hate and harassment went on for months. My children had to be relocated, as did my wife, for a two-week period at the request of the police because stolen vehicles had been driven up their road, eyeing up the property. And until the police found out who was in those stolen vehicles, they could only presume the worst. What you'll see in the video is footage, you'll see footage of the police in with my wife, telling her specifically and naming Antifa as an organisation that are arming themselves with weapons intent on causing harm to my family. Now for any of you to think about that, any journalist out there, any left-wing activist, think about what it must be like for the, the wife and the children who are completely innocent in this. To be continually told, because it wasn't just once, it was two or three Osman warnings actually, which you'll see in the video coming up. Three Osman warnings given, saying that far left activists and Muslims are going to seriously harm them at their home. Now that's gone on for months, with police stationed at the property for months. Now what happened this Sunday? To try and get at me, this is all to try and get at me. This Sunday, a jihadi lawyer who represents Michael Adebolajo, I believe, who represents Shamina Begum and many terrorists. He's, had to, he's actually changed his name. The solicitor has changed his name because his name become that much dirt with all his ties to radical terrorists that he's changed his name. He's also banned from claiming legal aid because he defrauded the, the finance situation. This is the lawyer that apparently is suing me. Apparently. I say apparently because they've delivered me nothing. They haven't delivered the house I live in one single thing. Now, when I was out of the country, a jihadi lawyer decided to hand documentation, which gave an address stated as where I live, where my wife and children are. He handed that over to a group of extremist left-wing activists. Now, try and make this out for yourself. My wife and children and my family have been told multiple times that their lives are in danger from Antifa, who are going to come to their house. They then receive a phone call to say Antifa, far-left groups backed by Mike Stutchbury, who regularly tweets in support of Antifa, and Resisting Hate, who again work with an organisation called Tell Mama. Tell Mama share an office with, guess who? The Muslim lawyer. I'll put all of this into a documentary coming soon, but I want to get it off my chest. So a radical called Brother Nero, Real name Richard Harris, Dick Coughlin, whatever name he wants to give himself. 
he is handed private and personal documentation, legal documentation, supposedly for me, with an address and na- names and addresses on it for my children by a lawyer. And he's then sent in a gang of six uh, with a pit bull dog or a Staffordshire bull terrier to hand deliver this letter to a home that they know I'm not at where my wife and children are. What do you think for one minute the reaction would have been by my wife whilst my children are outside on their bikes and they get information that Antifa are live streaming and on their way to their house. Now the police were called. Not by me because I wasn't even in the country. I was on an aeroplane. By my wife. Because she was scared. As were my young children. What do you think their reaction was when they find out that men are on their way with cameras to live stream their images, their photos, who they are, where they live, whilst living under a constant death threat, and they're sent by a lawyer and a group calling themselves resisting hate? To my left, uh, Tim, Tim Pool. Everybody knows and loves him. Vija, what is it? How do, you, how do I pronounce your last Vija. name? Vija. Vija, Vija, not Vija, Vija. Yes. Vija. Gaddy. Gaddy. And your position at Twitter is? I lead trust and safety, legal, and public policy. That's a lot. That's a lot. And Jack Dorsey, ladies and gentlemen. One really important thing that needs to be stated is that Twitter, by definition, is a biased platform in favor of the left, period. It's not, it's not a question. I understand you might have your own interpretation, but it's very simple. Conservatives do not agree with you on the definition of misgendering. If you have a, a rule in place that specifically adheres to the left ideology, you, by default, are enforcing rules from a biased perspective. Well, Tim, there are a lot of people on the left who don't agree with how we're doing our job either. For sure. And those people think that we don't take enough action on Absolutely. abuse and harassment and we let far too much behavior go. And well, they think but that that's Twitter a radical example, though. I mean, what he's talking about, I mean, in terms of generalities, the, the, in general, things lean far more left. Would you agree to that? I don't know what that means. But in this particular case, it's how the speech is being used. That This is a new vector of attack that people have felt that... I don't want to be on this platform anymore because I'm being harassed and abused and I need to get the hell out. Well, people harass and abuse me all day and night. You don't do anything about that. So what you have, to me, it looks like the conservatives, to an extent, probably will try and mass flag people on the left. But from an ideological standpoint, you have the actual, you know, whatever people want to call it, sect of identitarian left that believe free speech is a problem, that have literally shown up in Berkeley burning free speech signs. And then you have conservatives who are tweeting mean things. And the conservatives are less likely to try and get someone else banned because they like playing off them. And the left is is targeting them. So you end up having disproportionate... I feel like there are a lot of assumptions in what you're saying. And I don't know what basis you're saying those things. The, I mean, you have conservatives demanding free speech and you have liberals... Uh, I shouldn't say liberals. You have what people refer to as the regressive left calling for the restrictions on speech. You have these... I don't know what those terms mean, to be honest with you. We have people on all sides of the spectrum who believe in free speech. And I, I, I believe that to be the case. We'll hear more from the Joe Rogan discussion during the final quarter of our show today. But Tommy Robinson reports that, quote, if someone puts a picture of me on Facebook, they'll get removed. They want to make it so Tommy Robinson doesn't get spoken about, end quote. Well, behind the latest round of attacks against Tommy is, of course, 
his recent announcement about the video he has coming out, and if you haven't heard of it yet, that video is called Panodrama. That name being a play on the name of the BBC's own Panorama, which has been waging a fake news smear against him. This production is everything that Tommy promised it to be, a scathing and unassailable account of the utter moral depravity and corruption that is the basis of the BBC's reporting. But what they're doing to Tommy Robinson is beyond criminal, and just more evidence of how people who cannot defeat the truth must eventually resort to open physical war tactics. This is where it's all heading, and it's the left that's pushing us there. And make no mistake, the BBC is just another state broadcaster whose ideology is no different than that of Canada's own CBC or of America's quote-unquote mainstream private media of the left. Again, just more reasons to cheer a free social media environment and to keep the necessary fight going to maintain such an environment. Remember what Steve Crowder warned us of last week. Failure is an option. Tommy Robinson himself has lost many battles in his war, but he continues to fight that war armed with the only weapon he and we have, an open and free internet. So you can see why this issue is so critical. But at the core of this entire war, the entire debate, and I know there are those who think I'm harping too much on this point, but it's all about the labels of left and right. Just listen to the discussions. It's constantly about whether someone's a voice of the left or a voice of the right, as if everyone was on the same page as to what those words actually mean, both in theory and in practice. We cannot escape the use of these labels because they are the core means by which we can identify ourselves in terms of ideology. And the ideology of one side of that polarity is utterly destructive to life and to human values geared towards any standard of life. Twice in that exchange, we hear the head of Twitter's Legal, Policy, and Trust and Safety Division, Vijay Gaddy, admit that, quote, I don't know what it means when it was suggested that Twitter leaned far more left and how the regressive left is calling for restrictions on free speech. What terms does she find confusing? The, the word left? The word regressive? Restriction? Free speech? But then she says... We have people on all sides of the spectrum who believe in free speech. I believe that to be the case. So she does know what those terms mean, although entirely incorrectly. She has a belief about them. And if she doesn't know what left means, then how can she know that a lot of people on the left don't think we go far enough? How does she know there are people on the left? And what's far enough? What does she mean by far enough? Far enough to where? Towards censoring the polarized opinions of the right. That's what she's talking about. But nobody talks in, in specifics. They're all talking in vague generalities. And I want to know just how many sides to this imaginary political spectrum are there. Because from my point of view, of course, there is no political spectrum. And when it comes to free speech, free speech is a quality of the right and the right only. On the right sit freedom and capitalism, and free speech is a value consistent with and a derivative of freedom itself along with individualism. On the left, where tyranny resides, is no free speech, but a lot of speech without the free. Censorship and speech control are derivatives of tyranny and totalitarianism, collectivism. These two concepts are not possible to depolarize. 
It's a binary option. We have people on all sides of the spectrum who believe in free speech, she says. I believe that to be the case. Well, I think that's crap. I don't believe that to be the case. Those on the left believe in free speech for the left only. Those on the right believe in free speech for all. Because that way they can compare their better ideas to the worst ideas. So you can understand why the left's opposed to this. <laughs> There's no other possible position to take here. And if you have people on all sides who believe in free speech, <laughs> think about it, then why aren't you providing that environment for them? Wouldn't they be the great majority, people on all sides? Now last week we cited Ayn Rand explaining why the middle of the road is where the evil emanates because there is no middle of the road, but people who put themselves there are between the two polarities. You know, which brings to mind, I think, we've got to invent a new term, a new non-polarity that we should consider naming perhaps the extreme center. Nobody ever thinks about that. Why isn't the center extreme? Because there's nothing mild about it. It's If it's a choice between the two totalitarianisms on each side of the assumed spectrum, then it's all extreme. So consider a person who thinks he's a centrist or someone who's in the middle of the road. Here's an example of why I think it's not possible to hold a position like that. It's not even a position. Eventually you have to swing entirely to one side or the other because you'll be faced with some extreme contradictions otherwise. So say you got this fellow named Joe Smith, he considers himself to be a centrist. In his own mind, he honestly believes in the ideal of free speech, but at the same time, he also believes in a host of left-wing programs and ideals. Say, for example, a single-payer state-monopolized health care system or an education system. Eventually, Joe will be faced with either losing his right to free speech or losing his right to that monopolized health care system or both. Because the reality about state monopolized healthcare and education is that both are grossly inferior to healthcare and education that could be made available in a free environment. But because the government monopolizes these services, the truth cannot be openly spoken about these realities, even if a majority of people know the truth. Now, if people were actually motivated by truth, then telling the truth about these state monopolies would eventually lead to their reform, thus ending the monopolies and opening health care and education to the private choices. Or if people were more motivated by hanging on to their sacred cow, though false, then open speech and consistent advocacy of the truth would have to be suppressed, and you'd eventually end up with no freedom of speech. If there actually was such a thing, as the political spectrum that most people believe in today, where communism sits on the left and fascism on the right, then it might be perfectly valid to argue that there is a centrist position on this false scale, because in this case the center is perfectly consistent with the extremes on each side. So if it is possible to have a so-called extreme left or extreme right, then it's nat it naturally follows that the center is also extreme as well. The extreme center is where people choose the evil from both sides of their imaginary political spectrum. On the one side, they choose from communism. On the other side, they choose from fascism. And in the middle, they have the means by which both those ends are achieved. And what is that called? Socialism. 
Now there's a perfect representation of the political environment as most people would understand it today. It's a false representation because nowhere on this scale sits freedom or capitalism. And folks, the center or middle is not where freedom exists. This is sheer nonsense. Freedom does not result from combining some kind of equal mix of left and right when both of those options are merely two forms of tyranny. <laughs> How do you get freedom out of that? Some people argue that, well, you have the two bad sides fighting each other, and as long as they're fighting each other, we can come up the center and we're, we're, they'll leave us alone for a while. That's not freedom. If by positioning themselves in the imaginary middle, some people think that they are rejecting both sides of the spectrum, well, they're wrong, even though they might be subconsciously expressing a secret desire for freedom. The problem is that our real political choices are not between communism on the one side and fascism on the other, but between tyranny on the left and freedom on the right. So whenever people reject the label of being right, they are rejecting their own freedom. They're rejecting freedom itself, and that's exactly how those on the left planned their epistemological strategy, and that's how they want it. To fight and beat the left, people must learn to embrace the right. Embrace what is right. We must come to understand that the terms left and right are merely political expressions of their moral equivalence, evil and good. And when it comes to government itself, it is an error to suggest that government is force. Governing is a moral undertaking. It's about the morality of when it is justified to use force and when it is not justified. Government is not force. Force is what is governed. Now back on June 22nd, 2017 on Just Right 510, we broadcast our episode entitled Compassing the Political Spectrum Left and Right. And on that show, I presented the uncomfortable truth, or the inconvenient truth, if you will, that there is no political spectrum as we have come to understand it, and that the spectrum we have been taught for decades is a deliberate fraud, all calculated to keep us from understanding that left and right are strictly polarities, not part of some spectrum, and that these polarities are based on the ideas that naturally emanate from tyranny and collectivism on the left, or from freedom and individualism on the right. So you can well imagine my delight in discovering that during his March 5th appearance at Stanford University, historian and author Dinesh D'Souza actually addressed the, the, the whole idea of even having a political compass and how any compass we might use in determining our political direction will affect that direction taken. Wow, I am um, very honored and thrilled to be here. I've spoken over the years maybe four times at Stanford University. The uh, event that I remember the best was, uh, wow, several years ago now, where in Memorial Auditorium I debated the Reverend Jesse Jackson. <laughs> and I want to mention that because I was thinking about that in the context of our, of our divided society and the reason why uh, debates on campuses like this one become so uh, acrimonious, so out of control. And um, 
I was remembering that when the Reverend Jackson and I were up on the podium, we were debating, is America a, a racist society? I looked at the Reverend Jackson and it hit me that he and I are exactly the same color. If we were to put our hands up side by side, they'd match. And I thought to myself, we're both intelligent people, we're in the same country and we're looking at the same facts. So how is it possible for two people to disagree so profoundly about the same data. It's kind of like if, how is that actually possible? And then it occurred to me that the reason perhaps for our difference of perspective is that our, our angle of perception was completely different. I am uh, an immigrant, an immigrant from India, and I bring to America what can be called the immigrant perspective, the perspective of somebody who is an insider. I've, lived here most of my life, but grew up in another culture and has, in that sense, a different angle of vision. Now, the Reverend Jesse Jackson is a leader of, you may say, an indigenous minority. By indigenous, I mean simply a minority that's been in America for a really long time. And the immigrant perspective and the indigenous minority perspective are not the same. Why? Because I thought to myself, the immigrant is bringing to America what can be called a historical or comparative perspective. If somebody says, is America a racist society, the first question in my mind is compared to what? But that's not how the Reverend Jackson saw the matter at all. He wasn't saying that America is more racist than some other country. He was using what can be called a utopian standard. He was measuring America according to a certain, you may say, standard of perfection, the Garden of Eden, and using this utopian or idealistic standard, he found that America fell woefully short. And so the reason for our differences wasn't that he was lying or I was lying, but rather that we were using a different compass. What are the compasses that were bringing the presumptions to the debate? Now, the decisive issues that have made us crazy in the last two years, but longer than that, the reason that we have not had in this country any real debate about any issue, not even immigration, not even the court, not even taxes, not even North Korea, nothing. Why? Because we have had a swirling current of accusation aimed, of course, specifically at Trump, but more broadly against Republicans and conservatives. The charge of racism and the charge of fascism. Now, let's be fair. These are the two most incendiary accusations that you can make. You're a racist. You're a fascist. And, and they carry consequences because if they're true, let's say Trump is a racist and he is a fascist. Then you could argue that, well, Trump is, is like Hitler circa 1933. If, if Trump is like Hitler circa 1933, then we don't have to debate with him. We don't have to accept the result of the election. 
we would be justified in mobilizing whatever degree of force is necessary to try to overthrow him, because look at the dire consequences of letting Hitler do what he did after 1933. So it's very important whether or not these original premises are actually correct, are actually true. Through my research, I find that on these basic topics, like fascism, many things that people, intelligent people, know to be true are not true. And one question I've actually thought a lot about is, how does that actually happen? If you take a college like Stanford, how could it be that a student or even a professor who studies a topic can know something about it that is not true? Let me suggest how I think that, that can happen. First of all, and I'm going to use the premise that fascism is on the right. Now, this is a very important premise for the left, because if fascism were not on the right, you couldn't call Trump a fascist. If fascism were on the left, it would make no sense to call Trump a fascist. You need the idea that fascism is on the right to get away with that charge. So fascism, one way to understand a phenomenon is to look at what Nietzsche calls the genealogy of it. How do we get it? How did it start? That'll give you a clue as to what it is. Now, the leading fascist, the, the founder of fascism, the first fascist regime in the world, not Adolf Hitler, Mussolini. Mussolini was actually Hitler's model. And the very interesting thing is that Mussolini was a Marxist. He was the editor of the socialist newspaper in Italy called Avanti. He knew that he was on the left. In fact, everybody knew he was on the left. Lenin was one of his friends. When Mussolini started the first fascist party, Lenin sent him a telegram of congratulations. Why? To a fellow socialist revolutionary, V.I. Lenin. Now, at that time, there was a huge debate going on in the West over what's called the crisis of Marxism. And the crisis of Marxism, very simple, Marx had predicted that there would be proletarian revolutions in all the industrialized countries, which did not occur. And the question was, why not? The Marxists had to figure out, what did Marx get wrong? And Mussolini, having fought in World War I, made this observation. He said, you know, I noticed that the socialists in France all fought for France. I noticed the socialists in Britain all fought for Britain. And in Germany, the same thing. So, he says, class is not the only basis of worker solidarity. There's another factor that we've ignored, and that is the factor of nationalism. In other words, what we need is to marry nationalism to socialism for the first time, creating a new thing. Let's call it national socialism. And this is the actual origin of fascism. It's the marriage of nationalism and socialism. And that's why Hitler's party was called, you already know, the National Socialist German Workers' Party. And even despite that name and that history, people today still deny that the Nazis and fascists are merely differing brands of socialism, which both sit on the left. You know, my parents lived through the middle of all of this. My father, who passed away in the early 90s, lived in Budapest, Hungary, where he worked as a chauffeur for the Hungarian consulate, and he actually chauffeured Mussolini when Mussolini was in Hungary. He also had the occasion to chauffeur German Field Marshal Rommel. And I can tell you that when he saw depictions of these characters in movies and even on TV shows like Hogan's Heroes, which he loved, he had a completely different interpretation of events compared to what we were seeing on the screen. 
I also recall not too long ago speaking to my mother, who is not political, but who remembers clearly how the Russians, when they moved in on Hungary near the end of the World War II, all preached internationalism, open borders, international socialism, what today is being called globalism. When I explained to her that this is exactly how Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau thinks, she understood explicitly the deep trouble this country is in if it stays on its current path. And as those of you who may be very long-time listeners to this show may already know, the Russians, of course, forced my mother's father, my grandfather, into forced labor, where they eventually ended up murdering him through starvation in the Ukraine. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the face of socialism, fascism, communism, and any political variant of the left. And that just might be one of the reasons why you are now listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. The truth about left and right have yet to be learned, and that's one of the reasons this show exists. And it's thanks to our financial supporters that it's possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with you and with many of the people from that part of the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org or go directly to paypal.me slash justrightmedia to offer your financial support to make sure that you too can be part of getting the truth out there. D'Souza promised to define fascism, but never really got around to it. He gave more of a historical account. But fascism is merely state control of private property and private choice. That's why censorship falls under the, the, the purview of fascism. Its cousin on the left is communism, which is state control and ownership of the, quote, means of production, which is a minor nuance in totalitarian difference when it comes to any individual subject to it. Now, the first major lesson here is that communism, socialism, and fascism all sit firmly on the left and on the left only. These are irrational philosophies, and the left represents irrationalism. The second major lesson is that individualism and freedom sit only on the right and that these represent the result of rational philosophies and rational ideas. The third major lesson is that all political issues are polarized. The choices are binary because we're dealing with ideas and philosophies that are in direct opposition to each other. And another very important point to be aware of is this. Left and right are not destinations. They are merely direction pointers, no different than the two points on a real compass indicating north and south. The destinations are something quite different, yet still polarized. On the one side of the polarity sits freedom, on the other, tyranny. To point towards freedom, you have to turn right. To point towards tyranny, just turn left. And you can't just keep running away from the left and expect to end up at freedom. You have to know what you're going towards in order to achieve freedom. It doesn't just happen as a consequence of abandoning some form of totalitarianism. Now, many people incorrectly call the division between the left and right as being a problem of polarization, when in fact, <laughs> it is polarization that the left wants to prevent. Credibility and Polarization, written by Ayn Rand, October 11, 1971. The Ayn Rand Letter, Volume 1, Number 1, Page 1. So listen carefully to this. Quote, Intellectual confusion is the hallmark of the 20th century induced by those whose task it is to provide enlightenment. By modern intellectuals. 
One of their methods is the destruction of language, and therefore of thought, and therefore of communication by means of anti-concepts. An anti-concept is an unnecessary and rationally unusable term designed to replace and obliterate some legitimate concept. One of today's fashionable anti-concepts is polarization. Its meaning is not very clear, except that it is something bad, undesirable, socially destructive, evil, something that would split the country into irreconcilable camps and conflicts. It is used mainly in political issues and serves as a kind of argument from intimidation. It replaces a discussion of the merits, the truth and falsehood of a given idea, by the menacing accusation that such an idea would polarize the country, which is supposed to make one's opponents retreat. Polarization is a term borrowed from physics. A dictionary defines polarity as the presence or manifestation of two opposite or contrasting principles or tendencies. Transplanted from the realm of physics to the realm of social issues, this term means a situation in which men hold opposite or contrasting views or ideas, called principles, and goals or values, referred to as tendencies. When used as a pejorative term, this means that men should not differ in their views, ideas, goals, and values, that such differences are evil, that men must not disagree. But, the anti-polarizers might protest, they do not object to all disagreements. It is principles, fundamental principles, that they are struggling to eliminate from public discussion. It is a clash of fundamental principles that the term polarization is intended to hide and to avert. The most timid, frightened, conservative defenders of the status quo, of the intellectual status quo, are today's liberals. Brought up on the philosophy of pragmatism, they have been taught that principles are unprovable, impractical, or non-existent, which has destroyed their ability to integrate ideas, to deal with abstractions, and to see beyond the range of the immediate moment. Like children and savages, they believe that human wishes are omnipotent, that everything would be all right if only we'd all agree on it, and that anything can be solved by cooperation, negotiation, and compromise. This has been the ruling doctrine in our political, academic, and intellectual life for the last 50 years or longer, with no noteworthy dissenters but one. Reality. If clear-cut principles, unequivocal definitions, and inflexible goals are barred from public discussion, then a speaker or a writer has to struggle to hide his meaning, if any, under coils of meaningless generalities and safely popular bromides. In the absence of intellectual polarization, we are witnessing the growth of the ugliest kind of divisiveness or existential polarization, if you will. Pressure group warfare. Sounding familiar? The country is splitting into dozens of blind, deaf, but screaming camps, each drawn together not by loyalty to an idea, but by the accident of race, age, sex, religion, creed, or the frantic whim of a given moment, not by values held in common, but by a common hatred of some other group, not by choice, but by terror. My God, that, this, this is like a, a living description of what we're seeing on our campuses today. When men abandon principles, that is, their conceptual faculty, two of the major results are Individually, the inability to project the future. Socially, the impossibility of communication. Is there a solution? Yes. 
in its present state, what this country needs above all is the clarifying, reassuring, confidence and credibility inspiring guidance of fundamental principles in modern parlance, intellectual polarization, end quote. And this was written, obviously, by an individual able to project real principles into the future as the very future she described is now so glaringly visible that only the consciously blind and evil can possibly deny it. Which brings us back to the fundamental polarity of left and right, and to all of the symptoms described by Ayn Rand. Now we reach the point where the theory is translated into practice. Here again, from the March 3rd Joe Rogan experience, featuring Jack Dorsey, Vijay Gadi, and Tim Poole. So, your platform restricts speech. Our platform promotes speech unless people violate our rules. And in a specific direction. In any direction. But the guy who calls for death gets a suspension. The guy who insinuates death gets a permanent ban. But Tim, you're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. And I feel like you're doing it deliberately. It's not about one particular thing. It's about a pattern and practice of violating and our rules. And you have a pattern and practice of banning only one faction of people. I don't agree Quillette with that. recently published an article where they looked at 22 high-profile bannings from 2015 and found 21 of them were only on one side of the cultural debate. But I don't look at the political spectrum of people when I'm looking at their tweets. Right. You, you have a bias. I don't know who they are. You're biased and you're you're targeting specific individuals because your rules support this perspective. No. It, I don't agree with that. Well, so can you be clear, though, in, in like what rules support that perspective? Specifically, the, the easiest one is misgendering, right? Because that's so clearly ideological. If you ask a conservative... What is misgendering? They'll say if someone is biologically male and you call them, you know, she, uh, a biologically male and you call them a she, that's misgendering. That's a conservative okay. view. The, the, the progressive view is inverted. So now you actually have in your policies a, a rule against the conservative perspective. I have a rule against the abuse and harassment of trans people on our platform. So in the particular case of um, misgendering, I'm just trying to pull up um, some of the studies that we looked at. But we looked at um, the American Association of Pediatrics and looked at the number of transgender youths that were committing suicide. It's an astronomical, and I'm sorry, I can't find it right now in front of me. It's a really, really high statistic that's like 10 times what the normal suicide rate is of normal teenagers. And we looked at the causes of what that was happening. And a lot of it was not just violence towards those individuals, but it was bullying behavior. And what, was, what were those bullying behaviors that were contributing to that? And that's why we made this rule. But I just want to make sure it's clear to everybody who's listening. My point is simply that, you know, Ben Shapiro went on a talk show and absolutely refused. And that's his shtick, you know, and he's one of the biggest podcasts in, in the world. So if you have all of his millions upon millions of followers who are looking at this rule saying this goes against my view of the world, and it's, it's literally 60 plus million in this country, you do have a rule that's ideologically bent. And, and it's, it's true. You, you did the research. You believe this. Well, then you have Ben Shapiro, who did his research and doesn't believe it. Yeah, and, and I relied on the American Association of Pediatrics and, uh, you know, Human Rights Council and other... And I'm sure he has his sources, too, for when he gives his statements. The point is, uh, but you I, have equally... But I just wonder if they have that context. I and, mean... And that's, and that's where we have also failed. It's, but we can't simply say maybe Ben Shapiro and the other conservatives who feel this way don't know. You're generalizing, but I think it is really important, as Jack said, to the why behind these things. The why is to protect people from abuse and harassment on our platform. I understand, but you essentially created a protected class if this is the case, because 
despite these studies, there's a gigantic suicide rate amongst trans people, period. It's a 40%. It's, it's outrageously large. Now, whether that is because of gender dysphoria, whether it's because of the complications from sexual surgery, sexual transition surgery, whether it's because of bullying, whether it's because of this awful feeling of being born in the wrong gender, whether that all that is yet to be determined. Mm -hmm. The fact that they've shown that there's a, a large amount of trans people that are committing suicide, I don't necessarily think that that, that makes sense in terms of people from someone's perspective like a Ben Shapiro saying that if you are biologically female, if you are born with a double X chromosome, you will never be XY. If he says that, that's that's a violation of your policy. If he's doing it in a manner that's targeted at an individual mm -hmm. repeatedly. repeatedly repeatedly and saying that Okay, but what so about what that's about where the intent like, and the you know what's going on with Martina Navratilova right now? <laughs> Epic, world class, legend tennis player, right? <laughs> Who happens to be a lesbian, is um, being harassed because she says that she doesn't believe that trans women, meaning someone who is biologically male, who transitions to a female, should be able to compete in sports against biological females. This is something that I agree with. This is something I have personally experienced a tremendous amount of harassment because I stood up when there was a woman who was a trans woman who was fighting biological females in mixed martial arts fights and destroying these women. And I was saying, well, you just watch this and tell me this doesn't look crazy to you. My point is, you should be able to express yourself. And if you say that you believe someone is biologically male, even though they identify as a female, that's a perspective that should be valid. First of all, it's biologically correct. So we have a problem in that if your standards and your policies are not biologically accurate, then you're dealing with an ideological, you know, an ideological policy. But by saying, I don't think that you should be able to compete as a woman, this opens me up for harassment. And I never well, reported any of it. I just don't pay attention to it. But, but, in, but in going into like Megan Murphy, for instance... Right, you can call that target harassment. If Megan Murphy, who is uh, for those that are, don't don't know, she's a radical mm -hmm. feminist who refuses to uh, use the transgender pronouns. If she's in an argument with a trans person over whether or not they should be allowed in sports or in biologically female spaces, and she refuses to use their pronoun because of her ideology, you'll ban them. Again, it depends on the context on the platform, and it's also not banned permanently. She was warned multiple times for um, misgendering an individual that she was in an argument with. And this individual is actually bringing a lawsuit against her in Canada as well. What I'm trying to say is that it's not that you can't have those viewpoints. It's that if you're taking those viewpoints and you're targeting them at, the, at a specific person in a way that reflects your intent to abuse and harass them. What if it's in the context of the conversation? What if she's saying that I don't think that trans women should be allowed in these female spaces to make decisions for women? And then this person's arguing and she says, a woman is biologically female. Well, she, you are never going to be a woman. She responded with, men aren't women, though. And that was her first... In, in the series of events, that's what got her the suspension and the warning. Um, that was one of many tweets that right, was right, part right. of providing context, and that was actually the second strike, is my understanding. But, but why is that a strike? But yeah, why but, is that a strike? But, the, but again, my understanding is that in the context of all of those, she was misgendering a particular person. Not that she was holding a it belief or statement. It was a public figure, though, wasn't it? I don't know. It was. So you, you're, you're, having, you're having an individual who is debating a high-profile individual in her community, and she's expressing her 
her ideology of versus hers, and you have opted to ban one of those ideologies. And it's we within have, the context of this conversation. Yeah. This is this is what is being debated: whether or not someone is in fact a woman when they were born a male. I, I understand why why people would not agree with the rule, but that being said, it is a rule on our platform. And once you're warned about the rule, to repeatedly post the same content is also going to be a violation of our rules. Wow, have you ever heard such continual contradiction and BS? It's an incredible indictment of Twitter, and it's a confirmation of everything others have been saying about that platform. She's also pretty much admitted and confirmed that Twitter is a left-wing ideological platform. Our platform promotes speech, she says, careful never to say free speech. And you can't talk about free speech in one breath while in the next talk about your rules that specifically restrict that very speech. Quote, I have a rule against the abuse and harassment of trans people on our platform. We looked at transgender studies, high rates of suicide. What are the causes? And then she talked about violence, bullying. And that's why we made this rule. Oh, so you didn't make the rule because anybody was harassing anybody. You went to a study. You went to a bunch of lefties. We relied on American Association of Pediatrics and Human Rights Councils and other leftist propagandists. So if the people at Twitter have invested all this time into studying gender studies and consulting the AAP and human rights councils, then Twitter is a publisher, not a platform for free discussion. And anything political that you'll ever glean from sources like medical ones and human rights councils is completely leftist. You know, I actually keep forgetting that I was the first person in the province of Ontario to beat an Ontario Human Rights Commission at its own game when I represented a London landlord against accusations that he was racist towards Asians. And why was he racist towards Asians? Get this, because he rented to a majority of Asians in his apartment units. And this was considered taking advantage of an identifiable group. And just like the Twitter folks resorting to human rights councils and other sources to determine the guilt or innocence of someone on their platform breaking their rules, the human rights commissions here in Ontario brought so-called witnesses against the London landlord, himself an immigrant, telling us stories about how tough it has been for Asians living in, of all places, British Columbia. It was absolutely insane. None of these witnesses, quote-unquote, ever knew a thing about the landlord, other than what the local paper was falsely and maliciously printing about him. The average person has no idea just how corrupt such organizations have to be in order to exist. They're not concerned with freedom or with justice. They have political agendas. That's why they exist. And then there's Megan Murphy. Quote, there's context. You're not banned permanently. You get a warning. Megan Murphy was warned multiple times for misgendering an individual who was suing her at this time in Canada. Well, the fact that the ban is temporary does not mean they aren't practicing leftist censorship. If I'm warned that I cannot say, for example, learn to code, then that's no less censorship since you won't let me back on the platform unless I shut up and conform to this sick leftist ideology. Got this out of the National Post from February 13th of this year. BC writer sues Twitter over misgendering rule. Feminist says she was singled out for pronoun use. And that was written by Joseph Breen, but some interesting facts in this article. A feminist writer in Vancouver claims in a new lawsuit that Twitter banned her for using a male pronoun for the trans woman complainant in a human rights dispute over access to genital waxing at beauty salons. 
Yeah, it's him, Megan Murphy tweeted about an image of the complainant, which she claims Twitter cited as the reason for being kicked off social media. The claim in Superior Court of California is technically over a breach of contract and violation of unfair competition law. It asks for an order forcing Twitter to stop enforcing its rule against misgendering trans people and to lift any bans that rely on it. But Murphy's lawsuit is also the latest test of whether and how Twitter is obliged to uphold free speech and what duties governments might have to impose that value on corporate social media. This is a big issue. You can see that this is going to affect all of us at some point in time. Quote, Murphy is associated with the right-wing intellectual dark web movement. There it is, right-wing, right-wing. Everything dark and intellectual is right-wing. Isn't that interesting? And she has been a controversial figure in a discussion of transgender people and their rights, what she calls gender identity ideology. Murphy's lawsuit alleges Twitter, quote, covertly made sweeping changes to its hateful conduct policy sometime in late October 2018, banning for the first time misgendering or deadnaming of transgender individuals. This new policy banned expression of a political belief and perspective held by a majority, 54% according to a 27 Pew Research poll, of the American public, that whether someone's a man or a woman is determined by the sex they were assigned at birth. Twitter retroactively enforced its new policy against the plaintiff, in this case, Megan Murphy. Only 54% of people believe that a man is a man and a woman's a woman? And that's what makes it true or makes it valid? It wouldn't matter if 0% believed that. It wouldn't change the truth of it. Says Murphy, Yeah, I think the government should be enforcing free expression and free speech. We should understand and acknowledge the role of Twitter and make sure people are allowed to communicate freely, she said. So you can see where a case like that may end up. By the way, trans, that's another adjective that means not. And if transgendered people are so sensitive to discussion and debate, then wouldn't it be more logical to prohibit them, as an incredible minority consideration, from being in an environment where they clearly cannot cope, rather than restrict the free speech of a clear majority? If you want to protect someone from getting hit by a car while crossing the street, wouldn't it be best to keep them off the street? Or are you going to go and ban all cars to make sure that's possible? That's what I see happening here. And again, remember what I said last week. All of this sensitivity being expressed by various victim groups is really an act of outright aggression and hostility and hatred. And when identifying a person's gender or sex, we are dealing with the philosophical principle of the law of identity. And the law of identity applies to the observer, not to the observed, not to the object of the identity, it would be an impossibility to read the minds of every individual who might want to be identified as something that they are objectively not. As Steven Crowder cautioned regarding his own lawsuit against YouTube, there is no guarantee of success, and failure is always an option, as it is for any of the voices on the right, right now, entering the courtrooms to settle issues of freedom of speech for all of us. The great irony of all this is that in the end, the only way to ensure freedom of speech and an open venue for opinions left and right is to create a media platform and network that is just right. That's as polarized as it gets. Join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. 
We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. The mission failed, Colonel. It's finished and that's that. Right, so we can't win them all. Is that what you want, to admit failure, to walk away from this thing? Give up? Forget it? Yes. Good. I'm glad you want to try again. Now, what's a definite factor we can depend on in this job? We don't know what we're doing. 